Hello and welcome to this episode of Elric Talks. Today I'm talking with Valerie Gask about her self-published novel Raven Moonstone and her road trip across the US where she visited 38 states and started writing her debut novel all while living in a van. And without further ado, let's jump right into it. Valerie, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm great too. I've been anticipating this interview all day long. Thank you. I'm very excited. Yeah, so as an introduction, just tell us a little bit about you. Let's start with where were you born? Well, I was born in Los Angeles, California. And um, after I turned 18, I decided I was going to travel and see the world. And I ran out of money in St. Paul, Minnesota. And then that's where I ended up. I met my husband, and once I met those St. Paul boy, there was nothing. I was done. So we basically, I've lived in Minnesota for many years after that. So you, so when you were 18, you started a road trip. I did. I started a road trip. I, uh, and then when I landed in Minneapolis, broke. I got a job. I met my husband, and we put off that road trip for 30 years until my kids were born and now we're back on that road trip we've been living i retired and we sold every our house and put everything in storage and we moved into a van and we traveled seven months in that transit van all over the united states i got my road trip okay that's so much already Let, let's start with that's <laughs> <laughs> okay so when you ate and you started a road trip did you plan on ending in, in Minnesota or did you want to go somewhere else? Oh, I wanted to go everywhere. I just, um, you know, was kind of bouncing around. I had some friends in Minnesota. I just was so excited to see the world and, and I didn't get very far. That's what was, what was kind of funny. It was pretty much my first stop and um, <laughs> re realized you can't really go very far on $800. So I was just... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, Working, saving, and then I met my husband, and then life kind of got in the way, and we had family, and we started our life together. And before you started that road trip, when you were 18, and probably still going to school, how was that whole, let's say, that growing up experience for you? Well, my growing up life was, was not really my best years. And so that was probably some of the catalysts to, to leave and to get going and to be on my own. And so I really did things kind of out of order because I didn't, I didn't start school. I didn't go back and finish my degree for many years. I, I was working. I, I was a working mom, and I went to school at night and that sort of thing. So I really look at my life started when after I had my twins. When was that? that? My twins were born in 88. So I've been retired now for a couple of years. And so I didn't start my writing career until after I retired. You said you then got your degree. What kind of degree was that? Actually, I had a um, I've been employed gainfully employed in the in the IT industry for many, many years. So by the time I retired, I was running a staff of maybe 20 uh, developers and engineers, and we're doing websites and all kinds of fun things. So a lot of my writing skill came from creative writing of, of what I would call proposals. There was always a little um, magic in proposals and technology and even a little bluffing I might say, yeah. but we always, we always, you know, got, we ended up doing what we said we would do. So I've kind of bounced around a lot as far as where I am now to where I started. So you didn't work at that uh, in the IT field or in the website building field? All I those actually years? did. I actually did. When I started computers, the floppy disks were as large as your uh, laptop. Oh, wow. <laughs> So, no, I've been, in, I've been in technology, and I've loved technology and been part of technology when PCs were just thought of as a toy. Hmm. But you were already after the, the punch cards, right? 
I started on punch cards. They're ridiculous. <laughs> wow. And so, so yes, I um, that was what they trained in school. Um, I worked for uh, where I really learned what I learned technology is is I worked for a company called Control Data. They're they sort of dissolved into, but uh, I, to Seagate Technologies is who they are now. Mm. And so I was the person that just wanted to know everything, and so. Um, the engineers taught me. I mean, I was going to school. They told me where to, you know, what to do. And I'd come back and I'd ask them to explain everything to me. And, you know, I was just this young, um, excited to learn person. And then when this project came up to work on PCs, most of the engineers thought they were toys and wouldn't, wasn't, you know, I remember them telling me it wasn't going to go anywhere. So I ended up on a on a bleeding edge technology project, you know, testing computers and on, um, you know, Microsoft, actually what Microsoft didn't exist, it was DOS. Uh, IBM was, and, and, and control data were, you know, working together to get the first computers out. So it was, I had no business doing that, but um, <laughs> I was learning and uh, they, I just kind of rose, um, went with the technology and went, went where the technology was going. My, my thing was I, I saw right away I did not want to be uh, labeled. I didn't want to be an expert in anything. I wanted to know everything. And so where some of these engineers became proficient in Fortran, I, I could see that something new was going to come along and then they were going to be obsolete. So I was always moving, always trying to learn the next thing. It's it's so crazy. Out of the three people I've been talking so far, you included, everybody, like every author seems to have some kind of connection to web development or IT in some, in some aspect. I don't know if that's a, if that's a pattern or just a coincidence, but it's definitely fascinating so far. Um, you know, when you think about it, computers and webs and apps and all that is it's so common now that everybody kind of has some level of technology um what i always found kind of interesting is being a woman in a uh, male dominated field for all those years i never experienced any any question about my ability until i reached a woman of a certain age and then I recall being in a meeting where someone was saying well older people you know don't aren't don't embrace technology and I stopped them and I said hey wait a minute my generation invented the internet and you know um, so there's a lot of stereotypes as, as far as who is computer literate and who isn't and uh, I think there's a lot of people uh, that have embraced technology in many in many different ways it's changed our lives yes of course i mean it's i imagine it to be so so difficult when you consider how fast the internet and the whole it industry changes and when you compare that to other fields where you basically are able to do the same job for decades but it seems when you work in it five years of not being in that field and everything you know is is all of a sudden antique knowledge and staying on top of that seems incredibly difficult well it's a building blocks though because in many ways it's gone full circle because it originally was mainframes and all all mainframes kind of hooked together and then they went to standalone pcs and now it's back to um, that same model where you have uh, devices connected to the internet and to a mainframe. It's just that they're not mainframes and they're a million, well, more than a million times faster and smaller. But it's, it's really, for all that changes, a lot of it stays the same. Just go faster and smaller is all. Much, much smaller, yeah. <laughs> it um... is incredible. It is incredible, and it is changing the world. I, and uh, it's allowing, what, what I loved about it is it's breaking barriers, and it's allowing somebody like me who wanted to write, always wanted to write, 
and suddenly I'm able to publish a book and, and can bypass all of the, the barriers that would have prevented me from getting my story out. Yeah. I will come to that in a second. It, I just want to ask, now that you, you said that you're retired, do you still engage in, in, in web dev work to, to some extent, or did you give that up as soon as you entered retirement? Well, you know, I, I retired early and um, because I wanted to travel and I wanted to uh, reframe my, my life, you know, and reprioritize. But technology is very much a part of our life. Now, I not necessarily do I uh, do any web development. I had, um, by the time I retired, I was in a leadership role and hadn't um, written code for many years. But uh, we're definitely, when we travel, we have our boosters, we have our technology, we have all of these apps to tell us where to go, how to avoid the weather, that sort of thing. Because we do what is called boondocking, and we go off into the wilds where there's not a lot of other people when we, when we travel. So mm -hmm. it's kind of fun. I just want to dig on that on that one point one more time. Why why do so many others seem to have some kind of background in, in web dev or IT? Because you know, as, as you said, of course you have a lot of elements and you just basically have to learn how to put these building blocks together to build something bigger that makes sense. But you have a similar approach in many different industries as well. I mean when you're a landscaper you also have to know how these different things, how these different elements of your field work together. And it's not like when you're writing a book, you you, you benefit greatly from using tags or, or using a semicolon at the right spot. Well, that's true too. I, I think that there's, there's the, there's, there's a, an element of detail that's required in, in coding. And there's also a, a larger element of, of, being in your head and you know often you can't tell if an engineer is working or sleeping right because mm. it's all that we're in our heads and um that then if you have any sort of love for uh fantasy or stories i think that it's an outlet it, we've we found an outlet and again because of the ability to indie publish more creatives are given you know are given it a try Did you already write stories and write fiction during your working years? No, I told stories. I've always made up stories to, um, you know, with my kids. And we made all these elaborate stories. But something kind of interesting, I noticed there was a phenomena. If I told the story, I could never remember it well enough to write it down. So okay. what happened was I decided I was going to, tell my grandson a story and of course I'm traveling and he's not around so I started writing it down and it just kind of consumed me okay I'm I'm guessing that your children probably also enjoyed that a lot I can imagine that well you sitting there there in a half circle around you and you're just telling a big magical tales well we did we did I mean that was with the boys and you know we would you know, I'd get so far and say, okay, what should happen next? And then we would just make this stuff up. And um, Tobias, the tumbling cat, comes to mind. We used to do a lot with Tobias. He was always uh, tumbling downstairs or spilling something. We just made it fun. What was there also a particular reason why you decided to to imagine these stories yourself instead of, you know, just going to a bookstore and finding a children's book and reading out of that a little bit of that i mean we were avid readers that was one of the things that i wanted to pass on to my boys the love of reading as much as i love to read and so they read a lot um so lots and lots of books surrounded by our books uh you know comforted by the our books um but there are times when we were you know driving or um this is i guess it kind of invented audiobooks without realizing it uh i found that my husband had a love for westerns and louis lamore 
And since mm-hmm. I was the only female in the house, I got outvoted. And so I read out loud on our road trips or, you know, anytime we had to go from one side of the town to the other, you know, read to us. So I always was reading in the car. And then when we would talk about it, kind of like the same as a movie, you watch the movie and you go, we didn't like the ending. Well, we'd say, well, how would you change it? So we are always doing that sort of, well, what, how would you fix it? What would you do? And of course, that always created wild conversations. It also seems like a very good and very practical approach to life as well. You know, instead of just taking what life presents you, being like, hey, well, how would you how would you deal with it? How would you want to make it differently? Well, you've got a good point. Um, you've reminded me one of our things that we did, you know, growing up was um, I didn't like to tell my kids what to do but i always wanted them to be prepared because i didn't think they would might listen if i just lectured so we would play these games like what if what if we went to the mall and you got lost what would you do and you know we would talk about those sort of scenarios in a what if game and you know what if uh Of course, we were always silly, too. So, you know, what if the dog turned into a cat? There was always that. <laughs> But there were lessons. You know, what if uh, you lost your lunch money and you didn't have lunch? What would you do? Things like that. Do you feel like that had a lasting impact now that your kids are a bit older? Absolutely, because we're, you know, I can see that my my boys that are grown and, you know, they have children now and, and even us, we're we're very proactive family. And, you know, we are able to, we're, we prepare, you know, uh, we're, if something, if something happens, we're, we're prepared because we've already played all those what if games. So, yeah, I think it's a good, a good opportunity to live in the moment because you've kind of already thought about you're well equipped. I mean, it's the bottom line is, is the, is the things you worry about are never what happens. It's, it's always the last the thing that you never expected to happen is what smacks you upside the head and, and surprises you so yeah. we, we try to be prepared for life and we try not to worry about what could happen i think seneca also said that we suffer more in imagination than in reality true that's another good way of saying it. when did you start writing your debut novel i'm thinking i guess it's um time is really funny but like probably two years ago so okay. um It's kind of funny because when we were traveling and we saw all these really odd ironies, interesting people, just had so much fun, I thought, I think it's time for me to write that book I always said I wanted to write. And I thought, you know, um, I started one channel and I didn't like it and I decided, and my husband says, well, just make up a story like you always do. Mm-hmm. So I decided, well, my motivation would, I would write a story for Henry, my grandson. And everything I ever read said it would take 12 years. These famous novels took years and years to write. So I decided to write one, you know, for like when he's 13 or 14, give me 10 years to write it. So bottom line is it took me a year. He's four. He can't read, <laughs> but maybe one day he can read my book. It's nice that it goes fast, right? That you're productive uh, more so than you expected. But, of course, it doesn't come without its downsides. Um, it, it was, um, there was really no downside. I think it just um, let, it, I found a way to live in a van with, say, 20 square feet of living space without making my husband crazy because um, on, the, on the down days... Uh, when we weren't out walking and hiking, I could write and I could, um, that I, I just realized another parallel, the time it took in, in code. And when you have to immerse yourself in thought for hours, I can do that. I can shut down and just sink into my story and time flies. Mm-hmm. And talking about the living in a van stuff, how did, <laughs> how did that come about? Really? Huh? Um, Well, we had moved to Colorado to right before COVID to be closer to my one son um, who uh, said they were going to start having family and wanted support. And 
Of course, that's not how life is. My son in Minneapolis had the babies. But regardless, <laughs> we moved to Colorado, and I saw the mountains. And I got the bug of wanderlust. And we, were, we would go up into the mountains and travel around. And my husband kept saying we should get a van and we could go camping. And I said, I'm a cream puff. I can't do that. So he just kept working on it. And he took an old passenger or he took a passenger van with windows and he put solar in it and a shower in it and a bathroom in it. He's quite handy. And we took a couple of trips and I absolutely loved it. And there we were. And pretty soon we said, why are we paying for this condo when we're never home? So we talked about it, made a decision to try it for a year and we lasted seven months in the van until I said, well, how are you doing? Is there something you would change? And he said, I wish I could stand up. And I looked at my <laughs> six foot four husband and thought, I can't argue with that. So we bought a pool behind trailer. I think in Europe, they call them a caravan. It's now 20 feet. So we doubled our space and we live in our trailer uh, now. And our Ford truck, and he drives me all over. That's that's really amazing. <laughs> yes. Was there? I think it's also for for a lot of people hard to imagine. It's a fun idea to be in a van maybe for a weekend and then have fun with it and then go back. But did did you really plan from the beginning to have this be a longer experience? No, it just evolved. It's it became. We were staying out longer and longer and longer and just coming home to wash clothes. Hmm. And then I would think of the next place I want to go. And there were, there's places along, I mean, what I like to do is travel the back roads of America. And there's places along the Gulf of Texas, all the way to New Orleans, where you can sleep on the beach. And we have met the most interesting people, and many of them are from Europe, where they bring these big um, vans over, and they ship them, and they just do the same thing we're doing. We've met people from Europe, Australia, uh, Panama, um, just in all the national parks. They're just, you know, places to go. It's been really fun. People from Europe are usually really great. Yeah, I can, I can agree. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Yes, thank you. <laughs> the, the only reason why it's impressive is because they have to cross the ocean and they, they ship their, their van um, for, you know, these monster machines. Oh, I'm so jealous. I wish I had one that had all those big four-wheel drive monster machines. But they, you know, they're, they're huge uh, overlander machines and they ship them in containers and they get to the East Coast and they... they Uh, go all over so that's that's commitment like really these these buses converted to to a small apartment yes they've seen a lot of those and the only problem i saw with that was is that they don't usually have a front seat and there was no way i was going to be relegated to the back <laughs> you only have the driver yeah i mean it's part of the experience sitting <laughs> sitting at a passenger seat right well i'm the navigator But still with a map all the time, or no? I can't even read a map. It's all it's all um, it's all technology. So we have our GPS coordinates. I figured out where we're gonna go, and I just never know how long we're gonna stay. In those seven months that you stayed on the road, how many how many places, how many cities, how many states did you manage to to visit? Thirty-eight states, forty thousand miles. Okay, wow, that's impressive. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so, yeah, we went all over the East Coast, um, you know, all through Maine, uh, down from, you know, I don't know how much you know, know of the United States, but we stayed within the states. And we stayed out of the big cities because I was really about the small town. You know, we went through Amish communities. We went through uh, farming communities. We went through mining communities. We went through down the Appalachian Trail, the Whiskey Trail. Still have a lot of places to go. Have to figure out how to get to Alaska and Hawaii. Yeah, and Puerto Rico as well? Or? Oh, I would love it. I mean, if I can figure this out, uh, 
Canada, Mexico, Nicaragua. I'd go wherever I could. And and the the decision to go to certain places or certain states was, as you said, probably a very very much of improvisation in the moment, right? To say I want to go there, I want to go there, instead of having a big half a year plan of all the states that you want to go through. Um, very little planning. Uh, I just became. We decided to live in the moment and be um, very spontaneous. So the weather dictated. I was trying to get to Florida and I ended up in Maine. So you figure that out. <laughs> so um, it has to do with you know, you know, the weather and the wind and and the cold and um, I. Uh, when you want to see it all, it doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter. We're just checking off our boxes, you know, as far as which states we've been in. But you weren't in any of the let's say, colder states during winter, right? Well, in the van, being that we were originally from Minnesota, we spent New Year's Eve in a blizzard in Wyoming, um, parked on in a roadside uh, rest area. There was two feet of snow, and it was blowing, and we had one of the best New Year's Eves we ever had. It was just cozy <laughs> with our little buddy heater, and we were fine. Oh, I mean, at that point, it probably becomes like an igloo at that point and isolates itself. Uh, it's It was 80 degrees inside. We were fine. We had Netflix. We were good. <laughs> it's it, it, it's not, I mean, we just had, we had our, we, we were done. There was no place to go. We had our New Year's Eve cheers and we were there and, and it was wonderful. The... Mm -hmm. The, the difficulty in the van was heat. We got too hot and we had to, you know, work through the, the air conditioning. So even in winter? Well, see, the, well, the winter, what happened is, is that once we switched over to the van, we got into a trailer. It's not as winterproof as the van was. The van was a passenger van, so it was insulated and it had a heater. But after we got to the trailer that changed and so we have to be a little bit more careful about freezing things mm. so yeah and, and you started writing your book during that van road trip that's correct so one day we were parked at a um an op uh, a free campsite and it i don't recall what state we were in and but i think it might have even been of all places, Nebraska. But I looked out the window and there was a small SUV and a, a young man was out, getting out of the SUV. And I said to my husband, is that a, what I think it is? That's not a dog, is it? He said, nope. And I said, I got to go talk to this guy because out of the back of the SUV jumped a goat. And so I brought my coffee and I walked over and the man's name was Noah and he had dreadlocks and he lived in his SUV with his goat and okay. we had a nice cup of coffee we talked about books and we I just said I gotta I gotta put this together and hence that's where my story started my main character's name is Noah and he's a goat farmer okay and that guy was also a goat farmer then no, he was a drug dealer, but that's the <laughs> What? Wait, 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 wait. So after we had this conversation, you know, I'm I'm oh I'm kinda naive in different things and so I said, Well, how do you if you live in your car, how do you make money? And he says, Oh, I sell drugs and I said, Oh, yes, of course you do. <laughs> so I just said, Okay, you know, I had you know, I I'm living off my savings, but whatever. And uh, we, we, he laughed, and I finished our coffee, and that was the last I saw of Noah. He went one way, and we went the other. Sure. And the goat was probably payment from, from customer. No, he, the goat was a pygmy goat, and he just had it as a pet, and he said it had um, separation anxiety. And so he just always had to be next to his... Goats are very loyal creatures, and of course, and they're, and he just had his. Well, there was a whole big conversation about how he had 
the back of his SUV was all industrial, so he would just go hose it off out now and then, and uh, it was crazy. I, 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 they're stinky animals, but he was happy. It's truly, truly crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speechless. <laughs> out of all the things I would have expected, a drug dealer with a goat. Okay. That's why. I, that's why I said I'm. I mean, this was a a big. Exp social experience for me to step outside my comfort zone hmm. i was finding myself getting closed in um work home not knowing my neighbors nothing and it was just closing in on us and i said if you know part of this was is i was afraid i was really afraid to go sleep in a walmart parking lot or, or sleep in a campsite and my husband's saying like Who is going to drive 60 miles into the middle of nowhere to rob us? We're just, it's fine. You know, he doesn't worry about stuff like that. So mm. when I was in the car and I saw something, I said, this was a sign. This was the time for me to step outside my comfort zone and go over and walk and talk to somebody that we would never have met in normal circumstances. We mm. would have been oblivious. You know, I'd never met anybody in dreadlocks and he never met whoever I am, right? Yeah. I mean, I was old enough to be his mom, but we enjoyed our coffee and we enjoyed our books. And you never had any real bad experiences during that time? Like a burglary or something? Uh-uh. No. Um, we've had some... There's been some times where we left and we've had some somebody come and knock on our... The one time I left my camera equipment out to take pictures of the stars, somebody knocked on the door and That was kind of odd, and he was, like, asking if we were, you know, in search of the nebulas, and we decided he was really out out from out of space, so we needed to, he, he kind of, most campers don't come into your personal space, and he had moved into our personal space, and we were uncomfortable, so we left. I don't know what he was talking about, but he was talking about nebulas and And maybe maybe he was seeing if they're going to steal our camera. But I think he just wanted a friend and he was just a little too pushy for us. So we left. We've met wonderful people on the road, all kinds of people on the road. But there's a camaraderie is what I would say. Um, when you were when you were writing your book, how how do we have to imagine your process writing it? Is it more of a spur of the moment inspiration kicking in? Uh, is it more of a solid routine? No, it's, well, it's a little bit of both. It's very, when I started, once I had an idea about, I got sparked, you know, about Noah and a goat and, and a librarian and books. And, you know, I wanted to write a fun story. I wanted to write something that, uh, for my grandson, and I wanted to give him bits of wisdom. And I knew that would be boring if I didn't, hide it in magic so I just started looking at the scenery and I just started from point a and I didn't know where the story was going to go I didn't even know if I could write a book but I've written for my work forever you know I could write I just um, had to smooth it up a little bit so I would just sit there and I would just get into my head and I started writing and then later I changed it to first person because I found that was just easier. And I, you know, I started reading and watching YouTube videos on how to write. And I read some books on how to write. And I said, I liked what um, one said was, if people read your story and they tell you something's off here, listen. But if they tell you how to change it, don't pay attention. Because I didn't want it to, I didn't want to lose my story in other people's feedback. And I went through the process every day. I'd write some and um, I got my, I'd have to remember to get up and move. And it was just, it was just fun. Are there any just, special books or let's say YouTube channels that you can recommend to other starting authors? I have to think about it. I think it's um, Jerry Jenkins had some really good editing um, processes and um I read a book, I, I read Stephen King's on writing, and then I just, I think there was a, I think there's a quality 
stepping back now that I've gotten through it, I think there's a quality of naivety and beginner's luck that is in my story because it because I didn't know what I was doing per se. I've just been reading books forever and I just wrote the book I wanted to write. I wrote the book I'd want to read. And I wrote the book that I would be proud of that my grandchildren would read. And so between you and everybody else who's listening to it, that was the hardest part because I didn't want to curse. I didn't want to be vulgar. And if anybody knew me, not throwing an F-bomb around <laughs> once in a while was kind of hard. <laughs> but, did, but you successfully edited all of them out in your drafts. Yes, I found that um, it is a clean book that um, that I'm not going to embarrass my family uh, if they read it. Mm -hmm. And so you just once again, you didn't have a, let's say, a big planning phase where you spend the first three months plotting everything and coming up with the backstories in order to then put it into the in, into a story. No, oh. no I would think about it sounds funny i would be stuck okay he's on this cliff or he's some situations happening i would be stuck i would uh, go to sleep i would say okay noodle it think about it and in the morning i have all these ideas and i would just start putting them down and sometimes they went so fast i would outline it then and then i would spend the next couple of days putting all those in And um, when I just had such so many things to draw on because I I I had the cliffs and the desert and uh, we were you know we've always done stories so I just made it up as I was going along and just pretty soon the character took over and I had to just catch up with him whatever he wanted to do and how many how many drafts did it take you to go from let's say, from the first draft to the version that you published? Well, that's a good point because, again, I didn't... I, I knew that I needed to have a flawless book because I'm a perfectionist, and you can't... Similarity to IT, you can't have a program with bugs in it, and I couldn't have a book with typos in it. Hmm. Um, but I didn't have a budget. This was a... I wasn't really planning on publishing this book. I wrote a story for my grandson, that ended up being 300 pages. And then I spent twice as long editing it and rewriting it. And, you know, um, after listening to Jerry Jenkins and getting rid of filler words and reading on how to edit, reading on how to make it tight and knowing I, I have the ability to step back and listen to it. So I was reading it to my husband. I was listening to it and, and, distance myself from it does this make sense is this okay does this sound right and so it was months and months of editing and re-editing and and cleaning it up and making it tight and that's what took so long and so when I was done I proudly told my son that I you know that I wrote a book for Henry and he scoffed at me and he said a pdf is not a book I'm not reading it until it's on amazon I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, you look it up. You know, you, you're an indie. If you want to write a book, you have to indie publish it. So I then started researching Kindle and KDP and found out that was a 15 minute project just to mm. <laughs> up my file. And so when it got out there and um, he he bought it, he then laughed and said, this is really good. I was afraid. <laughs> It seems to be received quite well on Amazon when you look at it, when you look at the ratings and when you look at the at what kind of bestseller uh, rank it has. It's, it's surprising and it's humbling because, again, I, you know, 100% indie. I've had a lot of, I mean, I'm trying to figure out how to market. It's by posting on Facebook and asking people shamelessly to read my book. And they are you know, they like it. And I think they like it um, because it tells a story and, and it's funny and snarky. And at the end of the day, there's a, there, you know, there's a moral. Hmm. And it's, I mean, I, I read parts of it and I have to say it's nicely written. It's easy to read. It's, 
it's not one of those books where you read a page and then uh, you're just exhausted. It's just it it has a nice flow as much as I read about it. And all thank it. you, yeah. thank you. I mean, it's a different style. There's a voice there. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm not I didn't I'm not trying to compete with the people that um, you know have been writing for a living. I did this for fun and. I'm proud of it and people like it and I have another grandson so I have another book to write and I find it really well I just love it I love writing I love my story my way nobody telling me that they want you know a lot of times I had to write websites and I had I'd have to struggle because they mm. would want to tell me how to do it versus tell me what they want and yeah. like I know how to and this is this is mine and I'm um, and people are enjoying it and that's really humbling and that's really special and all the parts that that are important in publishing a book like that from the editing process to the cover design to the advertising you did all of that yourself I did I did and then um, I had some the, the, I had some problems with the cover so I, I thought I had done it right, and I went through Canva, and I got some free, a free cover, and I loved the cover, and I read all the information, and I published it, and then I drew the attention of the Amazon bot, and it kept saying that you have to prove that you have permission for this cover, and I said, I do have permission. It's Canva, and it's, you know, it's, and it just kept saying the same three, um, I kept getting the same three emails, the same three emails, and it shut me down. And I panicked because it was November, right before Christmas. And um, so I uh, struggled and a friend of mine kind of put something together for me because I'm not artistic. And um, she took some of my photos and mixed it together and we came up with one. And it didn't, it was just the best we can do, but we weren't authors. So afterwards, I decided I, my book had made enough money to pay for its cover. So I then went to a, uh, a profet actually a professional book designer contacted me on Twitter and did a premise and said, this is what I want to do and you don't have to pay for it unless you like it. And I loved it. And they were, that was marquee books and they did my cover my third cover. So the Amazon bot is scary though, right? Because you can't talk to a person on Amazon and it determines if it decides something about you, it's, uh -huh. you know, and so um, yeah. I reloaded with a new cover and, and I have, I'm happy. And would you say that the current cover is also maybe the best uh, in, in when it comes to sales? It's all been about the same. I'm just kind of steady. Mm. Uh, you know, yeah. my sales have been, just pretty much they plod along no highs no lows i thought I, I was hopeful that it would just like be the breakthrough moment i needed to get more people but mm -hmm. there's so much competition and there's so many good books mm. out there that i think mostly my sale i know mostly my sales are from kindle unlimited and that's mm. where people are willing to take a chance because they've already have a subscription but i would i would love for everybody to read my book i think that would i think they would enjoy it <laughs> So doing all of these of these parts yourself or with the help of friends, what would you say was your total, let's say your total expenses for the book? Until I paid for my cover, it didn't cost me anything. Well, that's not true. I I had um, I I no, I already had a gram. I used Grammarly for my um, you know for my grammar check. Okay. I didn't I. And the thing is, I didn't know any better. I didn't know that you're supposed to pay for an editor. And I uh -huh. wouldn't have anyway, because that wasn't my point. My point was to prove to myself off my bucket list that I could write a book and I could write a quality book. And since uh -huh. I'm such a perfectionist, um, I hated the idea that I would have typos. So I read the book word by word out loud you know, um, for months. So it didn't... The, That was the breakthrough. That was my point. If I would have, if I would have um, had to go through a traditional publishing environment, I would have taken the rejection so personally. 
And I, I knew in, on one side of my head, I know you're, you're going to get rejected because that's the process. The process is you're rejected until, you know, eventually somebody, you know, finds you. I didn't want to submit myself to that sort of negativity. So it was all about writing Henry a story that would leave a legacy when he was older. And when my mm. son told me about indie publishers, he's like, put it out there. And then what's amazing is, is people read it. And, you know, mm. I didn't have that. I don't have 70 friends that would give me reviews. <laughs> That's not mm. true. You know, um, yeah. These are these are strangers, and this that's what's exciting. Hmm. These are people that read the book and they liked it. There's right. a couple that didn't, but um, that's okay too. Yeah, and they didn't they didn't give you a good rating because they wanted to be nice to you, but because they they don't know you and they just just they just like the book. Well, it's kind of funny because some of the best things that were said about me were the fours, and I kind of go, well, if you loved it that much, why isn't it a five? But <laughs> And then the other ones that didn't like it, I think that they misunderstood because they said it wasn't a, you know, they didn't like it because it wasn't a thriller. And um, it's like, yeah, okay, it's not a thriller. Mm -hmm. So that's okay. And then um, I guess the best review I loved was they said it was, reminded them of Harry Potter, just less British. And I thought that mm -hmm. was, a I didn't quite know what that meant either, but I loved it. <laughs> No scar on the forehead. Right. Oh, that's right. I yeah. wasn't sure what you meant. Yeah. Um, no scar. And, you know, it's... And my characters are a little older. Hmm. Or a lot older. How old? The book starts when he's in high school, his senior year, and then it jumps two years. So they're kind of 19, 19-ish sort of thing. Hmm. It's, it's, just, it's interesting because I talked with other authors already. And, for example, Nick Oliveri, who I talked to, He said he spent around 5k on his book and now you are on the exact opposite end of the spectrum. You basically spent nothing on it and for whatever reason it seems to work out for both of you. So the guidance that he and I mean, other people give that is well you have to pay for it, it has to be professionally made, everything, otherwise you will never sell a copy of it doesn't seem to be that true or... Like, are you just the lucky exception, or would you say that doing it your no, way? No, I, I think it has to do with what, how much time you have to spend. See, I don't have any other obligations. I can spend as much time as I want uh, shamelessly promoting my book on Twitter and Facebook. And I chose, I mean, and I read about it, and I chose the medias that I'm most comfortable with. Now, I think what it has to do with is you have to have a... You have to be able to step outside yourself and look at, you know, self-analyze it and look at it uh, critically, right? Because everybody loves their little darling. And I uh, have been, when I, I also have to say that I, I read my book over and over to my husband and he was incredibly patient and he'd say, it sounds the same, it sounds the same, or nope, that doesn't work. And he would listen to it and tell me what didn't work. I think it has to One of the things that bother me about indie authors is, is that there's some sort of a rep out there that we're, there's not the same quality as uh, a traditional publisher. And I would refute that because I spent hours and hours editing this and looking for my mistakes and checking my mistakes. And then even then, after it was published, I found a couple of typos and I went in and I fixed it. And those were quotation marks not finishing where they're supposed to be and I, I i cleansed it again so you have to be willing to put that amount of time in some people are just really good storytellers but not good on the executing of the of the the grammar and such because of my work and i had to write all of these um different technical documents i had to be precise i had to be right and i used that skill to make sure this was as best as i could make it that took a lot of time if i was working full time it would have taken 12 years mm. so it, you know it depends marketing i just don't have a budget my budget is to travel and um i don't want to 
use that, you know, use my retirement money on, a, on making this book any more than I can't do it myself, I guess. Wow. And but it doesn't mean that it's not one way is not any right or wrong than the other. I just wanted to prove to me myself that I could do it. Uh, and, you know, let me do it myself. I'm a control freak, maybe. I don't know. And you did prove it to you, right? I mean, I would say objectively that it's at least somewhat of a success. I think it. I knew I was. It was a success when I got a review from a little kid who says he's 12 years old and he loved my book. And um, I thought someone's reading, a, kids are reading, you know, and I have to be careful because I sold my book to people I meet and then they read it and they're like, quit saying it's a kid's book. I love this book. <laughs> so there's kind of a, a swing between the 12 year olds and the, I think there's like a, an 80 year old kind of niche too. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, my friend said I gave it to my mother and she loved it huh. i mean i'm i'm almost 30 and i like it so far too so and i think well thank you and i i seem to be talking a lot about age right now but, and because maybe i i'm at a certain age and i keep thinking i'm going i'm getting younger and younger but the book has the older generation it has the you know the aunt shirley and um mercy and you know they're Noah's great aunt and grandma and so there's that kind of element and it's really about relationships family relationships and you know that has you know there's different ages and everybody can relate especially you know there's there's animals in it and everybody loves an animal hmm. I guess I'm glad you I'm glad you like what you read I'm glad you like my style I appreciate that thank you yeah you said that a lot of your sales come from Kindle Unlimited And Kindle Unlimited doesn't pay you per book, but per page read, right? Yes. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of difficult probably to say how many books you sold, but could you maybe give a rough estimate about maybe how much money you made from the book as an indie author? Well, I probably made, well, I don't even know. I quit looking. It's not hmm. very much um, because, but... It's a combination. Uh, I, I haven't been out a year, and I'm tracking well between the 70 reviews, and I probably sold 2,000 books. And then if you go Kindle Unlimited, they pay you like a penny, a quarter of a penny per page. Hmm. So I make like a buck a book. Um, okay. And, you know, and so it's it's very very strange but it's really okay you know it's i'm encouraged by the fact that people are reading it i'm encouraged because i have a second book coming out i have another mm -hmm. grandson and more of noah's adventures and i've learned a lot it's oh. i have a lot of stories left and i think that it'll gain traction um i've got enough i had enough positivity um positive feedback that it encouraged me to keep going mm -hmm. and the second book is way easier because i i found my rhythm yeah um, i can see that and i mean it definitely seems to be it definitely seems to be a good success for you i think the average number for books sold per per author is somewhere around like 200 so even though oh. even though kindle unlimited doesn't pay you a lot you seem to be way above the average with that so well i didn't even know that i mean uh, and that's kind of why i'm, I'm hedging because i don't want to get caught up in that in fact i'm already caught up I, i look at my reviews too much and that's not healthy but it's like someone read my book and they liked it you know <laughs> and then like um because it's so validating and i've never been so needy in my life until i became an author <laughs> It's very yeah. strange. Yeah. Very strange. It's, it's it's something different when you when you just I imagine when you just write a book and you publish it and you have this anonymous uh, crowd who just reads it and you think they maybe like it and really having basically getting a letter every time somebody says something about your book. It must be quite 
quite nerve-wracking, I imagine. Well, well it is. And, and see, the difference is, is that going back to the IT comparison, when something doesn't work on the program, there's a bug, you know it. It's either right or it's wrong. It either it met the requirements or it didn't. This doesn't have a set of requirements and it doesn't even have a boundary of who should read this. Um, it's so I didn't really know if it was good. Never in my life did I ever not know if something was good. If I made food and I burned it, I knew burning food was bad. And yeah. if they ate, if they finished their meal, it was good. I didn't have that. And when people have been one of the I think the biggest mistakes was is that um, it's trying to be categorized in a and la labeled and it's kind of under a children's book, but it's not a children's book. It's it's a clean, wholesome, funny, kind of not too scary, kind of scary, kind of weird, magical, mystical realism. Um, I crossed so many barriers because I didn't have that proper guidance that it's kind of surprising people are reading at all and if you do read some of the reviews they'll say i don't typically read this but i came across it and then i like it so i've kind of blended some things and that's because of my naivety i suppose but it's also my story would you like to read a little passage from your book i should i would like to do that i uh, there's a little hesitant in my voice but um <laughs> it's exciting so let me i I'm going to, what I'm going to do, I think this is, I'm backing up here. Okay. So, all right. So where we are is, is Noah has, Noah's about 19. He found himself orphaned. So he's, but through a process of different things, he, he, his uncle helped him finish his last year of high school. And now he's decided that he's going to start his own business, raising goats. And they live in this little town of Sweetwater. And that's where it, um, the other thing about Noah is he's kind of bookish, so he's decided that he's going to go to the library to get some books on what he needs to do to increase his herd and, and, and whatnot. So this is where the story starts. The town of Sweetwater was proud of their Carnegie Library. It was over 100 years old and funded by an original Carnegie grant. The builders mined the brown sandstone from the nearby quarry. The brownstone building with Roman columns was a testament to the town's early prosperity. I ran up the granite steps two at a time and slowed my, my momentum when I reached the front reception. I grimaced because Ms. Bedford was on duty. She tracked me as if I were a book thief, plotting to steal her precious books and couldn't wait to catch me red-handed. I pretended to be preoccupied and didn't acknowledge her. Ms. Bedford would often make disparaging remarks about my reading preferences. It seems she disapproved of fantasy genre. If I dared to ask Miss Bedford if the library had any books on wizards, she'd tsk tsk and give me a snooty stare. My thoughts meandered as I recalled a book about an apprentice magician who accidentally turned a coat rack into a butler. I wondered if a magic spell could turn objects into goats. That would fix my cash flow problems. I chuckled at my ingenuity and shifted my attention back to searching the database for books on running a business. I slouched as Miss Bedford trapsed toward me, and she must have used an extra dose of perfume because my eyes watered and I stifled a sneeze. If it isn't Mr. Farmer, what are you looking for today? Her voice scraped my nerves. I didn't mean to, but when Miss Bedford eyed me over her spectacles with her intimidating glare, the sarcasm stumbled out of my mouth. I'd like a book on spells and potions. My jaw tightened, preparing for Mrs. Bedford's judgmental negativity. Instead, she waved her arm, beckoning me forward to follow. Come with me, young mischief maker. The librarian's shortage of acidity gave me pause, and I shoved my, back my chair and winced at the chair's loud complaint. I trudged along, keeping Miss Bedford in my sights. We entered an older section that I had never explored. The librarian stopped in a hall lined with old-world paintings. Ornate gilded frames held portraits depicted in a Baroque style. On her tiptoes, she plucked a, toss, a dusty tome from the upper shelf. Potions and mischiefs for beginners. Miss Bedford read the title and handed me the thin volume. Then, with a long, assessing stare, she said, Don't let this book get you into trouble, young man. 
with knowledge comes great responsibility. It took all my self-control not to roll my eyes. Yes, ma'am. Miss Bedford scoffed and turned to leave. With a cautious glance at the annoying librarian, I settled in at an adjacent desk, but when I flipped through the pages, they were blank. Groaning, I re-examined the book and confirmed they were empty. I knew she was up to something. She's making fun of me. I fumed and my temper surged. That old goat, I'd like to fix her, I said under my breath. A muffled hum accompanied the iridescent puff of fine powder. I blinked a few times to clear my vision. Faint lettering materialized and floated above the blank pages. The shadowy, twirling symbols became solid and then thick black letters tumbled into the page. It was a foreign language, possibly Latin, and I struggled to pronounce the words. Quad, vetris, capra, et, id, quad, nectar. Everything happened at once. A blast of icy air and a blinding light exploded off the page, sending me reeling. The chair squealed as the legs scraped across the floor. I held on as the chair skidded backwards and bumped into a bookshelf. The shelving teetered and righted itself, but only after an ancient tome tumbled, bounced off my head and landed on my lap. Inhaling a whiff of dust, I sneezed while purple dots blurred my vision. Disoriented, I remained seated, rubbing the, uh, my eyes to clear the spots. <laughs> The cry was familiar, but unexpected. Sylvie, my goat, followed me? But it wasn't Sylvie or Kevin. It was the cantankerous librarian, pale and unsteady on her feet. Standing near the doorway, she reached out with her arm to lean against a shelf. Ma! Miss Bedford made a noise of a goat. In slow motion, her body contorted. It began with her feet as black legs and shoes formed hooves. Next, her hands and arms stretched into similar appendages. Her face pulled forward into a pink, fuzzy snout, her ears elongated, and she sprouted stubby horns. I squeezed my eyes shut. When I peeked through my eyelids, a red and white goat with a long beard and a short tail stood before me. Her clothes had changed into fur, yet the turquoise eyewear remained perched on the chubby goat's nose. Bad Noah. My eyes popped open and my jaw dropped at the almost talking goat. My heart pounded in my chest and echoed in my ears. Did I just do magic? A deep voice boomed. You know better than to bring farm animals into the library. Mayor Spahala stood with his hands on his hips. I was about to explain, but my mouth hung open at a loss for words. Then an idea sparked and I couldn't hold back my mischievous grin. Yes, sir. Sorry, sir wasting no time. I stuffed the book in my pack, pulled out Sylvie's lead. After looping it around the librarian goat's neck, I plucked the spectacles off her nose. Come on, Ginny, I said, using a nickname for Virginia. The goat blinked in response. Then, with a gentle tug, the goat's instinct kicked in and the red goat followed. I swept past the information desk, tossed the librarian's glasses on the counter, the goat trailed behind as I hurried to the exit and trotted down the library steps. A dozen black ravens soared in circles, casting shadows across the granite stairs. I dodged a woman in a skirt, swatting at a gigantic bird that flew too close. She stumbled several times, maneuvering the steps in her high heels. Still, she ran back and forth, screaming, trying to escape the pesky ravens. I chuckled to myself. That's what happens when you feed the birds. But for a moment, I considered helping but I decided not to get involved. Looks like trouble, and I have enough of my own. How's that? Awesome. <laughs> Very well read, I have to say. Like, if Thank you. you. If, if you haven't thought about it, maybe you should do an audiobook too. Well, I have, and I don't know, I don't know how to even begin, and I didn't know if I could do an audiobook with my voice, and I have to find someone to read it, I think. What do you think? I think you have, you have a great voice for that. It was really a pleasure listening to it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I told you we did read. I did read a lot. <laughs> yeah, and it's you know I, I can hear that. I can hear that. It's not the first time you've read something. It's yeah. There's there's life in it and 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 fun and joy. It's nice. It's it's enjoyable to to listen to that. Well, thank you for the encouragement. I'll, I I uh, really didn't think I could read. It. I could do it myself, but as you know. I would rather do it myself. So, mm. You also talked about that you're already writing your second book. I am. I'm editing my second book. I'm so excited about it. 
It's called the Dragon Moonstone. Is there already a release date for that? Um, no, not yet. I was hoping for August, but I uh -huh. feel like I have a lot more editing to do. And okay. um, we keep, but by the end of the year, I'll definitely have it out. Um, I've got, I went ahead and I'm working with uh, Marquee Books to do my second cover. And they're working on that. And I finished my story. I've just got to tighten it up and cut 20%. It's a little long. Okay. So we can definitely count on it this year in time for oh, Christmas. Definitely. Noah is going to get into more trouble than you can imagine. Um, I learned from some of my reviews. They said, you know, it had a slow part. And I did a lot of background, you know, um, I don't need to do all that background. So I'm just jumping in and puddle jumping from one problem to the other. Awesome. So, uh, Valerie, thank you very much for doing this, for stopping by, giving me some of your time. And if the listeners want to find you or want to get your book, how can they do that? How can they find you? Well, I'm exclusively on Amazon. So if you uh, look for The Raven Moonstone by VJ Garski, we're available We're, I'm talking about me and Noah, of course, are available on Kindle Unlimited, eBooks, Kindle, and of course, paperback. Still love those paperbacks. And where can they find you on social media? I'm on, well, I guess I'm, you just look up Valerie Garski in, on Facebook and I'm pretty much an open book. It's a combination of talking about Noah and talking about my travels. Awesome. I like to post lots of there's lots of photos in, of me in the van all right well thank you again thank you very much for doing this and best of luck to you thank you and best of luck to you too i really appreciate you taking the time and to put this together and give us authors an opportunity to get our books out there it's that's very generous of you to spend your time helping people like me thank you Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Elric Talks. You can find all the links to the socials and the books that we talked about in this episode's description. New episodes are coming out every Friday. For more information about upcoming episodes, head over to elric-talks.com. That's elric-talks.com for more information about upcoming episodes. Thank you again for listening and see you next time.